This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome back to the Diabetes Knowledge into Practice podcast, bringing you news, views and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS, who have had no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. Today we're discussing the development of novel insulin-based therapies for type 2 diabetes. After a brief literature review, we'll be joined by Professor Simon Heller, based at the University of Sheffield in the UK. While type 2 diabetes is sometimes referred to as non-insulin-dependent diabetes, we know that many people with type 2 diabetes will end up needing insulin therapy as part of their medication regimen. Given this means injections at least once daily, some patients can be resistant to this. Following the uptake of once-weekly injectable GLP-1 receptor agonists by many patients, weekly insulin has been pursued as an alternative to daily injections. While weekly insulin would only reduce injections for people with type 1 diabetes by about 20% due to the need for additional bolus injections, in people with type 2 diabetes for whom basal insulin is often initiated alone, weekly insulin could reduce injections by 85%, according to a 2021 review by Philip Holm and Rupa Mater. There are currently two different weekly insulins showing promise for use in type 2 diabetes. Basal insulin FC, or BIF, is a once-weekly insulin that was found to be non-inferior to daily insulin Degladec when compared for both safety and efficacy in a phase 2 trial. The study results supported further research and development of this long-acting insulin. Insulin Icodec is another once-weekly insulin that was shown in phase 2 trials to be comparable to daily basal insulin glargine in people with type 2 diabetes. This once-weekly insulin is currently in phase 3 trials for use in both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. It's also being tested for use in combination with semaglutide in phase 1. Another exciting development in insulin-based diabetes treatment is glucose-sensitive insulin, or SMART insulin. Designed to respond to the rise and fall of circulating glucose levels, these insulins should in theory provide better glycemic control and reduce risk of hyperglycemia, and a phase 1 trial is currently underway to evaluate the safety of one glucose-sensitive insulin. While oral insulin has long been studied as a potential alternative to subcutaneous insulin, there have been no successful oral formulations to date. Problems have centred largely around its poor performance as a mealtime insulin due to poor bioavailability and absorption. However, a daily oral medication is preferred over a weekly injection by many patients, so people with type 2 diabetes are a logical target for future oral insulin therapies as these challenges are overcome. So what do these new developments mean for treatment of type 2 diabetes? Today we're discussing this topic with Simon Heller, who's Professor of Clinical Diabetes at the University of Sheffield in the UK and Honorary Consultant Physician and Director of Research and Development at Sheffield Teaching Hospitals Foundation Trust. You can find his disclosures and links to all the publications discussed today in the episode notes. So firstly, there are two once-weekly insulins being investigated at the moment – How do you see these insulins being incorporated into type 2 diabetes management, assuming that they become available in the future? I think that the weekly insulins, which are clinically under clinical development and evaluation um, with both major insulin manufacturers, that's Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly, 
um, are clearly potentially useful because giving uh, an injection of insulin once a week is possibly more convenient for patients with type 2 diabetes. But I think the perhaps most significant potential is that they might be able to be used with some of the newer agents, particularly the GLP-1 analogs, which are now very established as part of management for type 2 diabetes. Uh, and these agents' potential is both in improving glucose levels closer to target, in reducing weight gain or even causing weight loss, uh, which is very significant when you come to think about the side effects of insulin therapy. And also uh, that they've been shown to have benefits in reducing cardiovascular risk. Um, so that combination uh, given once weekly uh, could be a really quite significant advance. And do you anticipate that the decreased dosing frequency would have an effect on adherence to the medication and therefore patient outcomes? I think if insulin is being given multiple times during the day, then of course that is a significant inconvenience uh, for patients. And for example, for patients for type 1, it's clear that we have to divide the background insulin uh, and there's some very good background insulins available now from the meal insulin because we're mimicking the uh, physiology of carbohydrate metabolism, which in type 1 diabetes is, uh, is no longer present because patients don't make insulin. Now, in type 2 diabetes, there's quite a significant difference. There's, most of them are still making some insulin, which moves profiles. It's just that the insulin isn't as effective. Um, so I, I suppose that once you get down to one injection a day, that's something that people could, could do when they go to bed. And that's the big advantage of the current ultra-long-acting insulins. Do I think that if patients were just asked to do it once a week, I suppose there are some people who would find uh, injections a real hindrance. I don't think it's going to make much difference. But if you're encouraging people who've never given insulin and are often quite frightened about doing that, and said, oh, it's only an injection once a day, well, I beg your pardon, once a week, then, then it might help people to collaborate. I don't like to use the word adherence, um, but I'm just not sure. I, I think for a, a small minority, it would be helpful. It's also quite interesting that people really worry about injections before they go on to insulin. But what we've found is that the GLP-1 uh, analogs are injectables by and large, the vast majority. Uh, and because they have real benefits in causing weight loss, for example, and reducing glucose at the same time, um, we found actually that once patients' uh, objections aren't nearly as great. So I think it can be overstated. I think it'll help a bit, but not to a great degree. Moving on to glucose sensitive insulins. Uh, there's currently one under phase one study at the moment. So this is looking forward much further into the future. What benefits or safety concerns, if any, do you expect to see during the development of these insulins? Well, let's think about how they might benefit people with type 2 diabetes. 
the glucose sensitive insulins great potential advantage is that they won't be active as glucose falls below normal in other words as people become hypoglycemic and hypoglycemia is well recognized in people with type 1 as a real problem uh, it is frightening of course and because uh, cognitive function brain function becomes impaired as glucose levels drop below three then then clearly patients are risk confusion even coma uh, obviously uh, driving a motor vehicle is very dangerous if they become hypoglycemic and, and those risks are ever present in people with type 1 diabetes particularly as the risk becomes really great as they uh, at their own insulin production uh, packs up as it does um, after a few years in most people. In type 2 diabetes, the situation is a bit different because, of course, they tend to make insulin. But importantly, the longer they're on insulin, the less uh, their own bodies produce insulin. And after 10, 15 years, uh, many of them begin to behave in that way, like type 1 diabetes. And it's estimated that perhaps 1 in 10 people with type 2 diabetes have reduced warnings of hypoglycemia. And because many more people globally uh, are on insulin with type 2 diabetes, you could argue that from a numerical point of view, actually hypoglycemia is more uh, important than in type 2. So I think the potential advantage is, is very considerable. There's been recent uh, research uh, published which shows that even in uh, countries with high income, uh, with sophisticated uh, healthcare systems, hypoglycemia continues to be a major problem, particularly in type 2 diabetes. So um, great potential advantage. Let's see if it happens. Uh, but you're right, I think it would be a, a significant advance. Uh, and many of us, including myself, believe that actually hypoglycemia is probably the main factor which prevents people with both type 2 and type 1 diabetes, obviously those on insulin, from achieving the glucose goals that their doctors and healthcare professionals would, would have for them. So which type of insulin-based therapy that's currently in development do you feel would be the most practice changing and which is the most exciting to you? I think the ones, the so-called smart insulins, which don't have an action when they're hypoglycemic, when, when glucose falls below normal. Those um, have been talked about for a long term time. The fact that they're now beginning to enter the first phases of, in, uh, of evaluation and insulin development for, for regulatory purposes is really quite exciting. Um, we'll just have to see whether they turn out to realise the promise that we all hope that they would. And finally, what's the key takeaway message here for you? I, I think the main takeaway is that for so long, uh, perhaps until the last 10, 15 years, our therapies for type 2 diabetes, be they oral agents, and I'm talking about sulfonylureas and insulin, while controlling blood glucose, um, had side effects which were doing exactly the opposite of what we as healthcare professionals uh, and indeed what patients were aiming for, because the side effects were hypoglycemia, which I've mentioned, but also weight gain. Uh, and of course, so uh, people with diabetes were being asked, actually, um, you should 
uh, lose weight, but by the way, we're giving you treatment, which is going to make you put weight on at the same time. And, and many were then told off, yet the therapy was the thing that was doing it. So the fact now we can combine insulin with new therapies, SGLT2 inhibitors, uh, GLP-1 analogs, uh, is a real advance, partly because those agents reduce cardiovascular risk, but also because they limit uh, the, one of the main side effects of insulin, which is weight gain. This brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favourite app, recommend us to your colleagues or leave us a review. You can find links to our social media and website in the episode notes, as well as all the references discussed today. We look forward to joining you next time.